إِجَاءُوكُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ وَمِنْ أَسْفَلَ مِنْكُمْ وَإِذَّاغَتِ الْأَبَصَارُ وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرَ وَتَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ الظُّنُونَ هُنَالِكَ بَتُلِيَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَزُلْزِلُوا زِلْزَالًا شَدِيدًا وَإِذْ يَقُولُ Hey guys, Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Squadruplets podcast, episode number four. Today's episode is going to be something that we, uh, all of us are interested in and uh, something about that's going to be in the Islamic world because this is one of the primary reasons that we brought this podcast up. So I'm your host, Ayman, over here with you, with you guys today, and uh, I'm with uh, another four of my friends. And today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic in the history of Islam, which is uh, the Battle of the Trench, one of the most important battles that was there in uh, Muslim history, as well as a turning point, really, in uh, basically how the roads of Medina uh, and such were, uh, were brought about. So now, Yala, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself, just see who's here. Assalamualaikum, guys. I'm Hamza. Salaam, everyone. We'll lead over here. And yeah, and also, Mo's also with us. Uh, maybe he's having some connection issues, but yeah, he's with us too. All right, guys. So uh, this is an interesting topic that was brought about by Hamza. And Walid is also really interested in Islamic history. Of course, I am as well. And number two, so we can go ahead and we'll be starting with uh, the Battle of the Trench. Just giving you guys uh, the basic scenery uh, behind everything. This initial, like, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you guys uh, a good picture of the Sira itself and uh, make sure that everything is beneficial and accurate, inshallah. Of course, our sources uh, have been taken, we went into a very careful uh, consideration of our sources to make sure that everything has, is as accurate and as reliable as possible. Uh, we started off with, uh, like, you know, some of the lectures from Sheikh Mufti Mank, uh, Tafsir of the Quran from Surah Nisan Ahzab, which uh, talk really deeply about uh, uh, this time in the battle of uh, the trench, as well as from Sheikh Yasir Qadi, who was an excellent uh, 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 series on this, on the, the battle of the trench as well. So, of course, like, you know, if anyone has, if any of, of you guys out there, you realize that we might have made a mistake and uh, uh, something is important that we haven't mentioned, Please feel free to just let us know either in the comments or just message us and we'll make sure that we'll do as much as we can, inshallah, to make sure that we rectify that either by putting that up in an, in a, in an episode or we'll just proper post about it, about it appropriately, uh, just to make sure that we, uh, because we're trying to make sure we give everyone the correct knowledge as much as possible. So yeah, I hope that this is beneficial for you and us and may Allah bless us all for this. Well, guys, please go ahead. Asalaamu uh, Alaikum, guys. So today, as uh, Ayman mentioned, that we will be speaking about Battle of the Trench. Uh, a very, very important battle uh, in our history. Uh, it has many miracles involved, uh, and we'll go over them in detail, inshallah, as we speak. Uh, one unique thing that I would like to mention is that this was a battle of patience, and this was a battle of intelligence, in simple words. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no bloodshed, uh, like generally speaking, which is usually the case, in, uh, in in a battle. Uh, no massive battle. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping, having said that, uh, let's start. So I would just like to give you a little bit of, of the background of the reason of why uh, there was a formation of the Confederates 
So a little background regarding uh, a battle that happened one and a half years ago before this in the year of 625, uh, Battle of Uhud. Uh, there was a tribe uh, with the name of uh, Banu Nadir who was involved in the plotting of assassination of our Prophet uh, uh, we all know the outcome of the of the battle, and then as a result, when it was found out that they were involved in this plot, uh, the punishment was it was a very very I would say generous punishment. Uh, they didn't lose much. Uh, Prophet sallam, allowed them to so leave the land. Basically, it was an exile. Uh, they were allowed to leave the land with whatever they could take with them. So uh, once again, highlighting uh, how how generous and how uh, like how much of a big heart our prophet had so, uh, yeah, so that was uh, yeah i think it's just also important to mention is that when the Prophet just came to medina at the very beginning like, you know just at the time of the hijra at that time uh there were obviously a lot of jewish tribes that were living in medina at that time it's called yathrib and after that they came to medina Manabra, the city of the prophet and at that time, like, you know, Rasulullah he brought out the constitution of Medina, which basically allowed all the inhabitants of Medina, the Muslims and the Jewish people to be able to live in peace and harmony. Obviously, there were multiple other Jewish tribes over there and other tribes as well. You know, Banu Saida, Haris, Wafi, Kainuka, Koreza, Zafar, Rashal, etc. All of those tribes. Now, I'm not really sure about the complete details of the constitution. Maybe we can do that in another episode, inshallah, if possible. But it basically allowed all of the tribes to live together in harmony, to allow trade and exchange to happen, to take place between them, and that they would not conspire against each other, and basically they would have their backs and make sure that things were going well. But it's important, just as Hamza mentioned, with Banu Nadir, I believe, is that they actually, they plotted to assassinate Rasulullah Sallallahu But yeah, what happened was like, you know, they, uh, Rasulullah was going to sit down in one area, then they wanted him to, to come and just uh, to, they asked him to come sit in one area, and then they, Started to drop a rock on him just to assassinate him, which is it's, it's very heinous. But he obviously was given the, the, the divine revelation, and all this was brought out to them in, in Banu Nadir. And at that time, you know, with Banu Nadir, like you know, what happened was you had the hypocrites of Medina. They said that all was fortune and so on. And but then uh, the Banu Nadir, like you know, Rasulullah, they went and they surrounded them, and uh, like you know, they laid siege to them, and uh, they were allowed to leave. They were allowed to leave, just as Hamza said, I think after a week of sieges, etc. They were allowed to they were allowed to leave Medina and they were allowed to take with them all the possessions that they can on one camel, one camel per person. And I think it was at that time when these people they they saw that that treachery obviously was they have broken the, the, the pact and they have gotten to assassinate. So that is a, a huge that is a huge crime, which I think you can see happening a lot, a lot. Uh, throughout the Battle of the Trench, either in between and afterwards, and actually the cause of it as well. So now what's happening with this is that uh, with Banu Nadir, which is as Hamza mentioned, they were allowed to leave, which is obviously, I think, a very generous punishment. Uh, and all, all, all of them, they went towards Sham and other places, and they were living in those areas. Uh, because a lot of these tribes also, they were not originally from Medina, they were from outside, and they come to Medina, and they had settled down over there. And uh, just when they were leaving, they saw that they had their buildings and everything, and they didn't want them to be taken over by the Muslims. So they started destroying them by themselves. Uh, so that's just something I wanted to mention as well. So yeah, Hamza, please go ahead. Right. Thank you, Ayman. 
so uh, the main land where these guys, uh, uh, Banu Nadir, where they uh, started residing in after the exile was a land around 150 kilometers north of Medina uh, uh, in a place known as Khaybar. Uh, they went over there, they started living over there, and you know, uh, every now and then they would just sit, uh, they would have gatherings and they would recall the days of glory that they had basically, their land, their buildings. And eventually it, it reached to an extent that they, would, they were willing to do anything to get it back. So they came up with an idea that basically let's build an army, let's unite all the tribes outside Medina and march uh, towards Medina uh, in a hope of uh, re recapturing uh, and reliving uh, all of those days that they were remembering. Uh, in this, uh, two main tribes helped them out. One of them was uh, obviously Quraysh. This was the first tribe that was uh, consulted by Banu Nadir because Banu Nadir were very well aware of the power uh, and the military power that the Quraysh had. Uh, so Quraysh were approached and uh, another main tribe uh, and a very, very important tribe uh, to remember for this whole episode is uh, the tribe of Katafan. Uh, details will be shared, but one thing to describe this tribe right now is that they are one of the greediest tribes I've ever heard. So for them, power didn't matter. For them, uh, anything uh, like legacy didn't matter. For them, the only thing that mattered was who could pay them more. That's all. Uh, these were the three initial tribes that united uh, in, uh, in this big uh, group of confederates. And then we saw, uh, and then there was amplification from this point onwards, because when uh, other smaller tribes around them, they saw this unity, they started taking, uh, they started taking part. And eventually we saw an army that was uh, approximating at around uh, 10,000 uh, members. 10,000 troops. 10, troops, sorry. Uh, and one thing to note over here is that this was a big thing in the history of Arabia because none of the tribes were known to unite at, at, such, uh, at such an extent. So this was clearly unprecedented, united by one clear mission, uh, which was uh, taking the land of Medina away from Muslims and taking away their power. Uh, so this was the uh, intro that I had to give regarding the buildup of the of the opposition army against the Muslims. And uh, mm. somebody else would like to add to this. Yeah, it's also just like uh, Abu Sufyan. He was actually like, all of this, uh, like, you know, as you said, the tribes, they went and they spoke to the Quraysh. At that time, they said that, you know what, we'll give you the people, we'll give you the money. Uh, Quraysh also has to put some of their troops into it. And then they asked Abu Sufyan to, uh, uh, to, to, lead, to lead the Quraysh. So to lead the armies itself, and Abu Sufyan radiallahu anhu, this is obviously before he converted to Islam and uh, so on, uh, long before he converted to Islam actually. And uh, just what happened over there was, I think Abu Sufyan just saw this as a golden opportunity because I think there was something that said that they didn't have to pay uh, any, like, any ransom or any, any, there was a special amount of money that had to, pay, had to be paid to one of those uh, tribes that you just mentioned. And obviously like, you know, he, he, he didn't have to pay that money. He just had to, well, they just just need the troops and he did was also like you know he was also giving funding for his for his army as well so 
this was just like you know a uh, golden opportunity for him for him he thought it was a golden opportunity that he could just like you know uh, stage such a huge attack against the muslims obviously the muslims uh they were the talks in surah al-asr like i think we mentioned it later when we get into it but uh it says that you know uh, once muslims had seen an army coming off of 10000 troops uh that's the quran that mentioned of how like you know the uh the, the heart went into their throats about how uh, how uh, like you know how fearful that would be because there were small number of muslims going against like 10000 troops that's that's like you know that would that that yeah that's there so yeah it's important to mention also something i wanted to mention is that regarding banu banu nadir itself everything that that's mentioned about how the treasury is mentioned is mentioned in surah al-hashr so it's a great idea if you guys can read uh, surah al-hashr along with the proper tafsir but maybe probably by probably by ibn kathir or someone and it will really explain everything uh, in proper detail because that surah mentions everything properly and yeah hamza i uh, can go ahead Yeah, just one small detail that I would like to add. I actually forgot it. Uh, the thing that I mentioned about Qataflan, and uh, you also mentioned it, that they were bribed, right? So what was the incentive for them? Uh, as I said, Banu Nadir was living in a land uh, known as Khaybar. They promised Qataflan that they would get half of all the goods produced by Khaybar in the coming year. Half of all the goods. all the crops all the agriculture so that was uh, a pretty good incentive for katafan they were like that's good enough for us we'll join your army the main thing why people were approaching katafan was that they knew that they're greedy and they formed majority of the uh, manpower involved in this uh, confederate confederate group which was around 40% so we're talking about 4000 troops solely by the katafan tribe yeah i uh, know i just uh... Obviously, I agree with everything you guys said, but I just want to paint a picture that uh, Khandaq and Azab, so basically Confederates, is basically just a group of tribes that are together. And there's there was a bit of uh, like discrepancy. A lot of people thought this started in the fourth of Shawal, uh, after Hijra, and some people think it's fifth uh, AH, uh, according to, like Imam Tabari or Ibn Kayyum. But I think the more correct reason is the fifth of AH. uh and yeah like what hamza was saying about uh the katafan tribe uh there are delegation up north and they're very large tribe known to be very wild and uncouth and so what happened was banu nadir um they sent a delegation uh, as they even said to abu sufyan to basically uh rally uh around the confederates and to bring them together and One interesting point is that in Surah Nisa, uh, verse fifty-one and fifty-two, they actually mentioned this. So basically, uh, when the Jews went to uh, Abu Sufyan to talk about this, they were pretty Quraysh were pretty perplexed. They're like, "Aren't you uh, very similar to the Muslims? You guys have a similar law. You have a, you follow the same God. So why are you guys coming to us? We're just pagans." Uh, the Jews did agree with this, uh, but they said. Prophet Muhammad sallam they're like we cannot trust him uh, we we trust you more uh, so like this the the two verses are basically have you not seen those who are given a portion of the scripture who believe in superstition and tabut which is basically false objects of worship and say about the disbelievers these are better guided than the believers as to the way and those are the ones who Allah has cursed and he whom Allah curses never will you find him for a helper um so yes in surah nisa right Yeah, the Surah Nisa, fifty-one and fifty-two. And yeah, like as Hamza said, this is the very first time that 
uh, Arabs were uniting under a banner. So you had the Muslims in Medina, and then you basically had the non-believers on the other side. And uh, yeah, like just uh, Prophet ﷺ, he heard about this. And uh, one of the sunnahs of when you're hearing about uh, this uh, like news or anything, was they would hold an, a meeting in a masjid. And they would just hold a gathering and then just to ask uh, any advice from all the other Muslims that what is to be done. Yeah, that's basically the shura. So they have a, a gathering of people. Because Rasulullah like you know, he's living in Medina and he's the leader, but he's also responsible for like you know, it's the livelihood of the other people and to take ideas from people and so on. So that's mashallah. I think that's just a great example of leadership. I think it's also there in the Quran. Uh, I'm not really sure about the last part about the Quran. I heard something about that recently, but I couldn't really track down its proper evidence. Uh, but it's important to note that, like, yeah, they did have a meeting. Uh, just I'm not sure about whether that's there in the Quran. But yeah, so they did have a meeting and like, you know, they had to shoot this uh, council, so basically the shuras, just to have a discussion. Because this is something that affects all the people to take ideas from everyone. And that I think is just a very good example of leadership by itself. Uh, just to make sure you're taking care of your people in the right way and you're getting the proper ideas. And you can see, obviously, like you know, we'll discuss about how really that uh, that meeting itself just was a paving stone for the, the, the name of the battle itself. Right. So, uh, carrying forward from there, uh, as uh, Walid mentioned, that uh, a council was uh, uh, called. And uh, because uh, the news uh, of uh, the uh, of the Confederates marching towards Medina, the news spread like wildfire. And uh, before you knew it, uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad was notified about it. So obviously uh, he called in a meeting to decide like what should be done now, because obviously uh, the numbers were against us. Uh, I think so we were around a thousand troops, if I'm not wrong, can you guys verify it? Uh, it I think, yeah, it was around about that, yeah. Okay, uh, so like if we had to win this battle, we had to do like we had to outsmart them. We didn't yeah. have to, yeah. So like we could not beat them simply with numbers. Uh, so many ideas were mentioned from the wise people over there, uh, but uh, like uh, with with all due respect, many of them were like shot down instantly because of the uh, because of the large manpower that the other side had until one uh, very intelligent suggestion came from a man, uh, very well-known, Salman al-Farisi. Uh, he was a very well-known man, very wise man. And uh, one, like just a small uh, overview about him is that he was, he had been a part of many cultures. So he was well aware of the tactics of different uh, parts of the world. Uh, and he thought- He was Persian. He was Persian. Yes, but he yes, was part of many cultures, uh, not just Persian culture. Uh, but yes. he suggested uh, a tactic that was used in Persia, which was the tactic of Khandak, uh, building a trench, uh, so that you could uh, provide a very major obstacle in the path of your enemies. One of the great things about uh, Sumal al-Farsi is that he was basically 70 years old at the time. Uh, and uh, some... Um, Sources say he lived even to like, he was 110 and 120. And he was a Christian before he converted to Islam. Um, and he used to just follow monks after monks after monks. And then one monk basically told him that the Arab prophet has, has come to the Arab peninsula. So he, he basically went to uh, go find Prophet 
and uh, if I remember correctly, he was basically caught uh, uh, by one of the enemies, and he became a slave at a very old age. Um, and he, he basically told Prophet so, so, the only way he could be free was for uh, to I think um, plant some uh, date trees. And you know, date trees take a very long time to plant. And if when those were all uh, planted, then he could be free. And this is, then he he really wanted to be freed, so he told Prophet Sallallahu about this, and Prophet planted the trees himself, so Salman al-Farsi could be free. So that just wow. shows, like how much, you know, Salman al-Farsi basically his whole life he just wanted to find the truth, and he did that, and Prophet returned him with his favor, which was amazing. But like back to the trench, uh, they say that the trench was around uh, two kilometers long and uh, thirteen feet wide. A lot of people think that why wasn't the trench, you know, built around it, like in a circular way? It was just like from one part. So Medina naturally was protected by two things. They had a lot of plantations on one side and they had a lot of volcanic uh, rocks. So if you're marching with 10,000 people through a plantation, uh, I mean, it's not feasible. And the same thing, the, the rocks are pretty dangerous. So this is why they built it in this way. Yeah, it wasn't a small trench. Uh, basically, that what, that's what I'm going to say. It was... It was it was it was deep, it was wide, and it was long. It had to be significant enough so that it could uh, uh, neutralize their horses and their camels, so that they could not cross over. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like you know, when they were, when they were digging the trench, mashallah, it just shows the dedication of the Sahaba, subhanallah. It's just that uh, they would be digging, and also Rasulullah also would be digging at the same time along with them. Uh, he was a mashallah leader who always led from the front. Amazing, amazing, mashallah. And there's so something that said that, you know, regarding the battle of the trench, when they were building the trench itself, um, all of the all of the Sahaba who were, who were digging, they would make sure that anything that they needed itself, like, you know, even if they had to go to relieve themselves and so on, they would always ask permission from Rasulullah and before they go, because they were just so dedicated, they wanted to make sure that for anything, if Rasulullah said no, obviously he had he said yes, but if he, he had said no, they would have still stayed because they just really wanted to make sure that they could, that they were as dedicated as possible. And that's also mentioned, the dedication is also mentioned in the Quran as well. And there's also one thing that I wanted to mention is that when they were when they were digging the trench, as you guys mentioned with someone of our significant idea, they came across this large boulder. And Rasulullah, he was said that... Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, He was, yeah. Uh, just before you uh, move on to uh, the miracle of the boulder, just uh, one thing, as you said, there was uh, so much enthusiasm to build the trench. Uh, one reason was obviously uh, that they had full faith in uh, Allah and his messenger, and like uh, the fact that there was a really uh, short time available to build this trench. The time available was approximately two weeks, so they had to build a trench, and uh, alhamdulillah, it wasn't uh, like we didn't need to build uh, a trench all around the city, as Walid mentioned, because it, we were protected by uh, plants and mountains. So, and it was an army of 10,000 troops. So they needed a big area, a big empty area to enter Medina. They could not uh, go, they could not enter it from anywhere else. So uh, if you're talking in terms of, uh, in terms of the map, the area that they would most likely have targeted and which was the area was basically uh, north, west of the city uh so that's where the majority of the trench uh trenches were built 
they were digged and they were made during uh, those uh, two weeks. There's actually a very good picture of the trench itself and how it was uh, dug and with Medina, the, the mountains of Medina surrounding it. And we'll put it on Instagram so you guys can see that just to get a proper visual idea of things. No, just to add to like when Hamza was saying there was no time and also uh, one of the, I think, hardest aspects of this war this, uh, was that this basically took place in winter. It was very, very cold. Uh, there was no time for preparation. Supplies dwindled. Uh, there was no harvest. Uh, like the food was like running very low uh, amongst the Muslims. Like there's even, um, there was a time where basically uh, Prophet when he was working on the trench and then he just, uh, when he was lifting some stuff, uh, his shirt went up and then one of the Sahabas realized that he tied a lot of rocks to suppress his hunger. And this is the, yeah. this is not the, one of the first occasions that happened many times before with Prophet And it just showed that like there was no like food at all. And uh, just before Amen, you go back to the, uh, to the rock uh, miracle. There is one miracle for the food. Uh, it's basically yes. uh, it's beautiful. I have the hadith. Yeah, sure. So narrated Jabir bin Abdullah, that we were digging the, the trench on the day of Al Khandak, and we came across a big solid rock. We went to the Prophet and said, "Here is a rock appearing across the trench." He said, "I am coming down." Then he got up, and a stone was tied to his belly, for we had not eaten anything for three days. So the Prophet ﷺ took the spade and struck a big solid rock and it became like sand. I said, oh Allah's Messenger ﷺ, allow me to go home. When the Prophet ﷺ allowed me, I said to my wife, I saw the Prophet ﷺ in a state that I cannot treat lightly. Have you got something for him to eat? She replied, I have barley and a she-goat. So I slaughtered the she-kid and, and she ground the barley and then we put the meat in the earthen we are cooking pot. Then I came to the Prophet ﷺ when the door had become soft and fermented and the meat in the pot over the stone trivet had nearly been well cooked and said, I have got a little food prepared. So get up, O Allah ﷺ, you and one or two men along with you for the food. The Prophet ﷺ asked, how much is the food? I told, him, and I told him about it. He said, it is abundant and good. Tell your wife not to remove the earthenware pot from the fire and not to take out any bread from the oven till I reach there. Then he said to all his companions, get up. So the Muhajireen and the Ansar got up. And when I came to my wife, I said, Allah, Allah's messenger, sorry, when I, when I came to my wife, uh, wife, I said, Allah's mercy be upon you. The Prophet came along with the Muhajireen and an Ansar and those who were present with them. She said that the Prophet asked you how much food you had. I replied, yes. Then the Prophet said, enter and do not throng. The Prophet started cutting the bread into pieces and put the cooked meat over it. He covered the earthenware pot and the oven whenever he took something out of them, and he would give the food to his companions and take the meat out of the pot. He went on cutting the bread and scooping the meat for his companions till they all ate their fill, and even then, some food remained. Then the Prophet said to Jabra's wife, eat and present to others as the people are struck with hunger. So basically, this hadith, this is in Bukhari, it is hadith, uh, hadith 4101. And it's talking about it because the miracle was that there were so many people and they all were coming in, in batches in to, uh, to yeah. eat the food. And the food, uh, like, you know, it, it was so much that basically uh, everyone was able to eat their fill. Yeah, so basically they, one... would, they, they would come in like groups of 10 and then they like leave. So if, if it was around 1,000 to 1,500 Muslims, like you can just see how, how many people had to enter the tent. 
that's yeah that's that's just uh, a miracle and, and that amount of food which was cooked for uh, three to four people because uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah he wanted to invite Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi and the close companions that food basically uh, became sufficient for the whole army subhanallah at the end so that was one of the miracles of this battle yeah so yeah uh, Walid mentioned something important was was uh, uh, how this uh, battle of the trench it wasn't being like you know when they were digging it the good conditions weren't the best it was very windy and so on. And I think that was also another miracle because when the Quraysh were coming from uh, Medina, this, uh, this weather conditions actually, it settled their horses and actually spooked them and such because this weather was not normal for them. So it was also something that was from Allah that, uh, that uh, intimidated, the, intimidated the Quraysh and also struck fear into their hearts and so on. Uh, yeah, but uh, let me just get the, the hadith back for what I wanted to say. If you want me to uh, narrate the meaning of the hadith, I can do that. Yeah. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so as they were in the process of uh, building the trench, uh, they happened to come across a big rock, a boulder, and it was necessary to remove it because uh, if they did not, they could not continue uh, increasing the length of the trench. Uh, so the people over there at the batch that was uh, responsible for removing the rock, they tried, they couldn't do it. Other people tried, they couldn't do it until eventually they came directly to Prophet Muhammad asking him for his help. So he said, okay, let me try it. So all he had was an ax. Uh, he went down on the trench. He removed his shirt uh, and he said, uh, Bismillahi Allahu Akbar. And he went for the first strike. Uh, and a big chunk of, of the boulder came out. And uh, like he struck the rock three times and he, every time he struck it, he uh, said something, uh, basically a prophecy, which uh, became true after a certain time. After the first time he struck the rock, he said, uh, Allah has given me the key to Syria, Asham, the area of uh, Asham, uh, which is modern day Syria, Lebanon, uh, Lebanon and Jordan. That became true uh, years later when uh, the Roman Empire was eliminated. Uh, and the second time uh, the Prophet ﷺ struck the rock, uh, again a major chunk came out of it and he said, Allah has given me the key to Persia, and which is modern day Iran and Iraq. And later on we saw how Sassanid Empire came to its end. After he struck the rock for the third time, he said, Allah has given me the key to Sana'a, which is Yemen. Uh, Yemen. One unique Yemen. thing about uh, Yemen was that was the only part of the Arabian Peninsula at that time which had a proper civilization. It had uh, its own government with its own set of rules and regulations. So that was another prophecy which became true later on. That was, again, one of the miracles. Yeah, so uh, so back to the, uh, like the trench. Um, one of the things, were, like one of the fear for the Muslims was about the women and children. So they sent them to a fortress of, I believe it's called Banu Harutha, and it was Ansar owned. And the Ansar... Banu Haritha. So th th these, uh, this fortress was Ansar owned and the Ansar basically, they tried to mimic how the Jews used to build their fortresses, obviously they weren't as good. Uh, so they sent the women and children there. And there was a Sahabi who basically, he just didn't want to participate in the war. So he went with the uh, women and children. And one of the uh, Prophet one of his aunts uh, was in that uh, was in the fortress, 
And she basically told us the hobby, please, at least uh, in the nighttime, like uh, be on the lookout. He's like, I don't want to be on the lookout. I don't want to be on the lookout. Uh, so basically what she did was uh, she took one of his shawls and she covered it around herself to make herself more, look more menacing, uh, more scary. And when she just uh, went out of the fortress for a bit, she saw two scouts. And these two scouts were sent from the Banu Kureza. And she basically uh, killed both of them. And then uh, when she killed both of them, she went back into the fortress. And then she had she told the, uh, the Sahabi to get the armor. And he, he basically said, I don't need the armor for myself. And then the, <laughs> so this is a little light humor. Uh, but one of the main things was that the Banu Kureza, they flipped. And uh, Prophet then he wanted to make sure uh, like why this was happening. And he sent an emissary, I believe. Uh, and if I'm not wrong, I think Hamza, he sent uh, Zubair to uh, see what was going on in Banu Kareza. I'm not sure about, about this video. Uh, because there was one part where they had to, he just needed to go and spy on them. And the Prophet yeah. said, every uh, prophet has a Hawari, uh, basically a disciple. And my disciple is uh, Zubair. And Zubair is one of the uh, 10 men mentioned and uh, the one who are uh, guaranteed paradise. Yeah, Zubair bin Awam? Uh, yes. One of the Ashram of Ashram? Yes. Ashram of Ashram. Uh, so one of the heads of Banu Kareza was Kaab ibn Malik. Uh, and one guy was sent uh, to talk to him uh, about basically switching positions. Uh, uh, just just uh, one minute, please. sorry to interrupt. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Bef before the armies arrived, Qatafan, uh, greedy as they were, they sent one of their emissaries to uh, Medina yes. to, uh, because they thought, uh, like, we will fight and we will lose some people. Why not we lose none of them and we still get something of, uh, of a financial benefit? Mm -hmm. So they sent one of their uh, emissaries to the tribes, to the two main tribes uh, in Medina at that time. Uh, uh, the Aus tribe and the Khazraj tribe. Interestingly enough, uh, the leaders of both these tribes, their first names were Saad. For Khazraj tribe, it was uh, Saad ibn Ubadah. And for Aus tribe, it was Saad ibn Muaz. They came with an offer, Tatafan, uh, to these two tribes, basically. They said, uh, we are forming the, the major uh, portion of this army. If you want us not to fight and just lead these guys and go away, just give us uh, one third of the produce that you will have in the upcoming year. And the original deal, if you guys remember, was uh, which was given to them by Banu Nadir, was half of Khaybar's produce for the upcoming year. Yeah. But because Medina is a much bigger land, even one third of the produce would be more than that of Khaybar's. And they would, okay. be, they would be happy with that. So they said, why not try a deal out with these two tribes? And if they agree, it's good. We don't have to fight. We don't have to lose our men and we'll be on our way. So this offer was presented uh, and obviously Prophet Muhammad was there. So he called the leaders of these two tribes and he said, uh, uh, guys, this is your land. Uh, so you guys will make the decision for your land because at the end of the day, it is a war and we will benefit if you guys do this. Saad uh, ibn Maaz and Saad ibn Ubada, they asked the Prophet one question. Uh, they asked him وسلم, that is this an order from Allah or this is purely up to us Prophet Muhammad وسلم, said uh, he said like uh, there is no ruling regarding this I haven't received any word from Allah this is up to you guys what do you guys 
things should be done. So they said, uh, it's an honor for us. Uh, we were in Jahidiyah before, uh, and uh, you presented uh, our tribe with the honor of Islam, and we will fight for it. Basically, we won't agree to this deal and uh, basically just try to reduce their numbers. We will fight for our land. Uh, it, the exact quote, exact quote is really good. It's like, we have not bound to, bowed to anyone in Jahiliyyah. Why should we do this when we have come to Islam? Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you, Adil. And upon listening to this, Prophet Muhammad he became really happy and he told the MSD to, you know, uh, be on your way uh, and like we're ready to fight, basically. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, where, where Banu uh, Nadir, they sent a guy called Hawaii or Hawaii to Kaab uh, and Malik of, of Huwai. Uh, Huwai. Uh, of Banu Kureza. Uh Kaab was a very a, a timid and a very uh, very scared person. Uh, he just said he he didn't want to open the door. He's like, your presence here is bad luck. Just go, just go away. Um, and then Hue was he basically said that we're both uh, both Jews. I've come here all the way. You're not even offering me any food. He basically started using a lot of emotional blackmail, and he wanted Banu Kureza to uh, basically flip. Kaab then said, I cannot break my promise to Prophet But after more uh, pressurization from Hue, uh, he said, I brought a lot of men. There's a, there's a lot of people here. We can uh, we can destroy the Muslims. Then obviously Kaab fell into the trap and then he rips the treaty. But he was still, there was a part of him that he just said, it's not wise to do this because, because even the enemies of Prophet knew that he was a sadiq, like he always, he always uh, told the truth. And any promise that he made, he always kept. Um, so when uh, Zubair, he, Zubair, obviously he didn't see, he didn't hear what was going on, but by the actions and he understood that Banu Kureza have flipped and they've, uh, basically they, their, their treaty with the Muslims was over. And then he came back, uh, and then he told Prophet about this. Uh, it's also important to note that during the battle of, uh, like, you know, of, of Uhud, you had, uh, Khalid uh, bin Walid, this is obviously before he converted to Islam and became one of the greatest warriors and companions out there. Uh, he uh, he was actually, he was a very skilled, uh, he was he's, he was very skilled, and basically he circled the Muslims from the back during the Battle of Uhud. And Rasulullah, he did not want that to happen again, because the hadith is that no Muslim is stung by the same, uh, by the same sting twice. So what happened was he actually had a delegation for I think around 200 uh, people, just to, to always like, you know, to protect uh, uh, Madina from the trenches, just to make sure that Khalid and Malid could not, uh, would not, would not do something like that uh, again. And at the same time, what was happening during the battle of the trench when you just mentioned, when you just mentioned about the hadith regarding Rasulullah Wasallam talking about how uh, he saw he was giving the keys to, uh, to Sham, then he was, he was, giving, he was giving, uh Persia and Yemen. We had a lot of these monafikim, uh, the hypocrites, the monafikim who were all, all around. Their primary role was just to spread injustice amongst people. So during that time, when they heard the hadith, they sort of asked, how could Muhammad tell us, tell us that we will conquer Persia and Rome while we are not even able to go to the world from out of fear? This ties in with, like, you know, with all of the Sahaba asking. So you can see that there's a, there's a, there's a disparity. Like the Sahaba, they are working there, and they, the proper Sahaba, like, you know, they're working there. and uh, they would, if they want to give permission to go to the to, the, to relieve themselves, that they would have just continued working. But one of on the other hand, like you know, they um, they were just always trying to sort of discord because they they did not have the the complete tawakkul nawa. 
and there are eyes that also also re, uh, revealed about about them, and that's that's Surah Ahzab in verses uh, 33 and I sorry in, in verses 12 to 13 in Surah Ahzab. In Surah Ahzab, actually talks very well about this entire this entire the entire image of the whole battle of the trench and so on. So it's a great idea for everyone to, to read that. Uh, actually, I would just like to read a verse corresponding to this verse number 19. Uh, the translation is, uh, then when fear comes, you will see them looking to you. This is referring to the, uh, the hypocrites, their eyes revolving like one over whom hovers death. But when the fear departs, they will smite you with sharp tongues. are miserly towards good. Such have not believed. Therefore, Allah makes their deeds fruitless, and that is ever easy for Allah. Basically, when it became hard and when they saw uh, all the all the difficulties during the battle, uh, it really uh, there was a striking difference in the body language. In, in the dialogues that were being said and in the attitudes of the believers and non-believers, basically hypocrites. Yeah, even in verse 10 to 11 uh, was the same thing because when the news came back that uh, is, uh like they broke the treaty, uh, th this was a big shock to the Muslims uh, because obviously uh, there was like panic amongst everyone. So in verse 10 to 11, it basically says, uh, remember when they came at you from above you, and from below you, and then when the eyes shifted in fear, and hearts reached the throats, and you assumed about Allah various assumptions, there the believers were tested and shaken with a severe shaking. So yeah, uh, one more thing is that something that really, like I'm glad Walid mentioned the part about how the Muslims, they were, fe they were feeling a lot of uh, anxiety at that point, not because obviously it was a good thing, obviously that was something that was not. But the reason because is that if you guys will see the picture that we just put up, you can see that the trench is covering the opening of Medina. But Banu Quraiza is right behind the Muslims, and the, the Muslim women are in, um, between uh, Banu Quraiza and the Muslims, and the trench is like you know after, after the Muslims. So now what's happening is that the Muslims, like you know, they are having an, 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 an enemy of ten thousand strong approaching from the front, which they have built the trench against, and like you know, at least it is something that can provide something, something of comfort, like you know, a, not just comfort but a tactical advantage, in some sense. But then at the back, you have uh, a whole tribe that is basically fighting against you. And uh, this is something that will strike fear to anyone because now you, uh, you're threatened to be surrounded. It was indeed a state of extreme fear and worry. Uh, mm. And as we said earlier, it really uh, uh, displayed uh, like who were true believers. So when this, uh, this breaking of the treaty happened from uh, Banu Qurayda and the battle was ongoing basically it was a battle of strict observation uh, muslims made sure that not enough people from uh, from the confederates passed over the trench whoever managed to pass the trench with extreme difficulty they were obviously eliminated uh, there were some casualties from the muslim side as well uh, and one main uh, not uh, not casualty at that particular instance but uh, one of the important members of the muslim army he suffered uh, severe damage to his uh, to one of his arms, and he was the leader of the Aus tribe, which I mentioned before, Saad ibn Muaz. That was one thing that happened during the constant uh, uh, firing of uh, arrows and each uh, Muslim trying to stop people from uh, crossing the trench. So basically, uh, 
as you know, in like the old battles, uh, they used to always send like three warriors against three warriors or two on two or one on one. Yeah. So the one of the main ones was a guy called Amr ibn Abdul Abdul Wood, uh, and he was fighting against Hazar Ali. Uh, the funny thing is that Amr, uh, he was basically calling for anybody, called for anyone, and he didn't. And he seen Ali once he was a child because they were all lived in Mecca together. Uh, then he just said, Ali, please go, please go. I, I don't want to fight you. You're just a child. You're just a child. Uh, I don't want to kill you. Uh, then he said it like two, three more times. And then Hazrat Ali goes like, you don't want to kill me, but I want to kill you. And this like enraged uh, Amr. And he tried to uh, fight Ali. So they were both riding on their horses. And there was so much dust that covered the area. So no one knew what was happening and if anybody died. Uh, the only reason the Muslims knew that Ali won is because after the he killed uh, Amr, he yelled uh, Allah Akbar. So that's the one so of the yeah. yeah. He said Bismillah, Allah Akbar, and then he cut his head off. And one of the other yeah. ones, other fight was uh, Nof versus uh, Zubair, and Nof was very uh, he 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 was very surprised by Zubair's skill. Uh, he goes like nice sword, and Zubair goes like it's not the sword, it's the arm. And then uh, that was a pretty good uh, one-liner to like end the battle. Sure. Yeah. Even for Ali Radiallahu Rasulullah didn't want him to fight because he was, he was very dear to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? And yeah. then he offered his uh, sword called Rasulullah his sword called Dulfikar to Ali Radiallahu Anhu, and he took that sword and he went into fight against uh, Amr bin Wad. So, yeah, so once the Quraysh itself, once they reached uh, Medina, I think, they, I believe they saw the battle of the, like, you know, they saw the trench itself and they stopped in their tracks because this is something new to them. This is not something that was happening, like, you know, uh, in the Arabian era, like Hamza said, like, you know, this was with Salman al-Faris, he saw that this was happening at the Muslim Persia. He was obviously a man of many different cultures and he's seen this, but this was not something that was there in the Arabian Peninsula. So the Quraysh, they were, start, they were like, you know, they were, they were they stopped in their tracks and they were not sure about all of this. And at the same time, they had a lot of bad weather going on around their side. Uh, it was not easy for them. And at the same time, they had these small skirmishes like we just mentioned. And then this like the Quraysh they came towards Medina, then then they reached they laid siege to Medina. And it was going on for I think a good 20, 20 days plus. And, 20 to 25 uh, days. Yeah, 20 to 25 days. On the 24th day, like uh, a very cold night followed and strong winds blew and that uprooted the tents of the Quraysh. They threw their belongings around and it hit their face with the small stones and the victory began to come with the wind. And this it was also there in Surah Al-Azab in verse number nine. It said that all you have believed, remember the favor of, of Allah upon you when armies came to attack you and we sent upon them a wind, a wind and armies of angels you did not see. And now is Allah what you do seeing. Right. Victory is not just given for anyone. It's only on the faithful believers who are there. And it's important to note that, like, you know, when the Muslims had seen the size of the Quraysh army, like, you know, at that point, you could sense Azab, where you could see that for some people, their heart was in their throats because of just how scary that was. And many people were wondering, like, you know, how what's going to happen at this point. And it's important to note that all of these things are just tests by Allah. Sometimes these tests will be, you know, these tests, they will... They will take you up. They will, like you know, it, it, is, it goes, it goes uphill, and uh, a lot of people they will, like you know, they will ask when is the help, when is the help, where is the help of Allah when it will come, and it will always be, it will always be near. But the way of Allah is, which is, uh, which is seen is that, uh, this is why the scholars that they have said that everything becomes harder and it goes to a to a peak, and Allah tests you until that peak, 
And after the words is when everything starts to become easier. To show that you have a complete and total faith. And Allah knows what's in your hearts. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, just to uh, add a little bit more uh, regarding the duration of the battle, actually what happened during the battle. So these regular skirmishes, little bit skirmishes were going on on the side and strict observation uh, was there uh, from both sides. Arrows were being con constantly shot from either side. So uh, this, uh, during one of these 20 to 25 days, was actually the first ever reported, properly reported incident during a war. I repeat, during a war when a Muslim group as a whole, along with the Prophet, missed Salatul Asr, just because Salatul just because they uh, had to be really on their toes and make sure that not enough people crossed the trench and uh, made it to the other side. There, there's also one other incident that happened. It was basically um, when they were, uh, I forgot where the Muslims were marching, but they were marching for a long period of time. And it was around like one hour before Fajr. And they all decided to rest and have a sleep. And then uh, Bilal, uh, who he said, I'll volunteer to uh, you know stay up and then I'll wake you guys up for Fajr. Prophet woke up with like the sun blazing on his face. And then when he woke up, he asked Bilal, what happened? He's like, Ya Rasulullah, the same sleep that took you, took me as well. So like, uh, that was what, that, I think those are the only two in, uh, incidents where like, it's, there's been an unintentional uh, a missing of the prayer. And also one of the du'as the Prophet made during Battle of Trench, he was, he was so angry at the fact that they had missed prayer. He made a du'a to Allah to like destroy the enemies for, you know, him, uh, missing prayer and that just shows like the magnitude of how important like salah is for us we just said about the battle of the trench itself Hamza, i think you mentioned that they were that they were building the trench for weeks no they built two, the trench like, over the first they built the, they built the trench for two weeks it took them two weeks to build the trench and then after yes. that uh, so from start to end when you said 24 days that includes the build the building of the trench itself or just no, that was an additional three and a half weeks Okay. So around five and a half weeks, they were busy in this battle. So yeah, so then that was proper that was proper exhaustion because yeah, building the trench and then having the siege. And we just and mentioned like imagine you you cannot sleep, you cannot do anything because you have this constant fear that the enemies will take over. So yeah. Subhanallah, how they managed, really. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Battle of Khandak, Battle of the Trench. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This is the conclusion to part one and part two will be released soon. See you next time.